Right. Good morning to you. We are very glad that you are here with us today. And I do not want to sound like a broken record, but I must say it again this week. Shoot that thing. We have had awesome worship today. Awesome. When this choir song was, come on now. This choir song was off the scale. Amen. Come on. Come on. Cut loose. Cut loose. Hey, man, that's exciting. It just is. And it's what it's all about is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of him to overcome death forever. And by the way, just a couple of thoughts. Um, one is the song there in Christ alone, uh, starting March the 11th, it's going to be kind of like a short time, but we've got so much going on. Between March 11th and Easter, April 1st, we have like some powerful things. One is a teaching series based on guided by that song in Christ alone. and But in that falls the baptismal service, Palm Sunday worship. Matt and Bethany Osher are going to be with us uh, during, during our worship time. Lots of great stuff is going to happen. Just clear your calendar. Commit yourself to be here at Dorsville during that time. You won't want to miss it. And secondly, this, I am so excited. I appreciate so much Jeremy coming up and sharing about the Easter dinner idea. I hope you'll buy into this. You know, we believe Easter is a great time of celebration, first and foremost. Secondly, it's a great time for family. And this is a wonderful opportunity, one, for you to eat dinner with your family. Okay, that's the cool part. Cool part number two is it's a chance to serve with your family. You get to enjoy the fellowship time at the meal here. We're inviting the community to come in and eat with us, okay? And then when we deliver those meals, it's a chance for you. Dad, Dad, it's a chance for you to grab your kids and say, come on, we're going to go deliver a couple of meals to some shut-in folks or folks that couldn't come today. It's an opportunity to serve. Mark your calendar for that. It is going to be incredible also. And lastly, we're finishing up, not quite, but we're almost near the end of favorite things. And these are where we took favorite scriptures from some of our church family and uh, built messages around them. And by the way, let me share this. If you're saying, Dwayne, you didn't get my scripture. I probably did, but here's the deal I didn't tell you. We've been preaching these Sunday mornings, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights. So the good news is, if Sunday morning and Sunday night should be on the internet, and you want to check and see if your scripture is there, it might be, but Wednesday nights are not. So if, if you missed that one, sorry. Um, but anyway, so we're, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. In fact, I'm excited about this message um, even today. This morning, uh, this morning's scripture was, was Philippians chapter 3, submitted to us by Jackie Scott. And I'm uh, very excited about the opportunity to teach that. Tonight, uh, we have Romans chapter 7, submitted by Judy Calger. And I'm pretty sure we've got Amy Craig's scripture, I think, Wednesday night um, with, with Psalm 46. I think that's right. I'm doing that from memory. And the older I get, the harder that is. But today's scripture is just so rich and powerful. So if you want to go and take your Bibles and turn Philippians chapter 3. And boy, thanks, David. We are early in the, in the pulpit. I really hope we can get through all of this today because it's really rich. It really is a, it's a wonderful uh, passage of scripture that, that God wants to share with us today. So, in way of introduction, in 1986, which by the way, that means like we've been in, in Southern Illinois forever, okay? I told Judy, I've been in Southern Illinois half of my life now. How about that? Okay, about 32 years. And so, so in 1986, we came to Cobden, First Baptist Church. And, uh, you know, we had a wonderful time there, say 14 years there. And so finally, after a year in the parsonage and going insane, okay, they, they said, well, why, you know, could we buy a house? They said, yeah, go buy a house. That'd be cool. We'll use the parsonage for space. We need that anyway. And so we bought a house. 
And so after we bought our house, the insurance, we talked to our insurance company, and they said that we needed something called earthquake insurance. And I said, huh? And, and I, they said, yeah, um, Cobden, in fact, all Southern Illinois, is located on the, the, the New Madrid Fault, and one of the most dangerous fault lines in America. I said, no way. And the insurance guy said, yes way. I said, uh-uh. And he said, uh-huh. I said, huh. And so we bought the insurance. Because, you know, earthquakes, obviously, shake, rattle, and roll the very foundation of the home. And it's very, it's very destructive. And because, and because of the fact that, that an earthquake would affect so many people, the insurance really is quite expensive. And in fact, it has kind of like a big deductible usually because if it ever happens, the insurance company's going to pay a lot of bucks. So finally, in 2000, we come to Harrisburg and we buy this brick house, keyword brick house, over on Poplar Street. And we found out that obviously we'd have our earthquake insurance and our house in Cobden was frame, but here it's brick. And the insurance guy goes, yeah, you got to have the earthquake insurance. I said, yeah, I know about that. No deal. And they said, now it's brick, so it's going to be more expensive because it's a higher deductible. It takes more to rebuild and blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay. And then, and then they said something like this. Then you need mine subsidence insurance. I said, what? I said, mine subsidence insurance. I said, no way. They said, yes way. I said, uh-uh. And they said, uh-huh. I said, uh-huh. So I talked to one of my friends. And I said, dude, I don't understand something. You know, coal mining is like a huge part of our lives in southern Illinois. It's, it's economically, it's our lifeblood, you know. But I live in Harrisburg, downtown Harrisburg. Why do I need mine subsidence insurance? And he said, well, Dwayne, most of Harrisburg, the proper town, is undermined. I said, no way. He said, yes way. I said, uh-uh. He said, uh-huh. And I said, huh. And I bought the mine subsidence insurance because there's danger, there's the possibility of something shifting underground and affecting my home. How about that? Well, see, today we want to talk about the importance of having insurance, of, you know, protecting us from being undermined. Undermined. Because, see, what happens at the foundational level is huge. And Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, gives us three warnings and three protections, uh, insurances, if you will, to make sure that what is important is not undermined. And, and the, what he's talking about is our faith, our faith in God. Make sure our faith in God is not undermined. So we're going to look today, if we get all the way through it, and look at three things that we be careful of that do not that we should not let undermine our faith. Philippians chapter 3. And today, by the way, unusually, I'm using the New Living Translation, which, by the way, is a solid translation. Um, but it, it's one of those translations that really puts it in, in just very readable language. And I love the way it said some of the things. And so today, we're using the New Living Translation, something I don't ordinarily do, but certainly not a wrong thing to do. So in Philippians chapter 3, he starts out by sharing with us about something we talked a little bit about last week, and that is this thing called joy. This thing called joy. So the first thing he says, to make sure your faith is not undermined, Okay, the first thing to do to make sure your faith is not undermined is you've got to beware of joy robbers. Joy robbers. Now, 
Why, why it's so important, back in Nehemiah, tucked away in the book of the Old Testament, Nehemiah, um, in chapter 8, verse number 10, okay, Nehemiah gives us this wonderful nugget. And by the way, we have a series on joy coming up a little bit later on down in the year. Um, but anyway, tucked away in Nehemiah 8.10 is a verse that says this, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So Paul understood that joy is not only just a, a good thing to happen in our lives, it's foundational to our faith in God. You remember last week? I know you guys remember everything I say. I, I love it. Somebody will go, Brother Dwayne, do you remember when you said two weeks ago? I go, uh-uh. I said, I can't tell you 15 minutes after I preach what I said, all right? Let's just let's be honest there, all right? But anyway, last week I said something, and I took a quote by Tim, um, Tim Keller and, and kind of rewrote it for my own, you know, there. But I, it, my, my translation of his quote was, you know, worry is the fear that God won't get it right. Wor- and that's so good. Worry, if you didn't write that down last week, you need to write it down this week. Worry is the fear that God won't get it right. And then I said this morning to myself, I said, you know what? And joy is the inner confidence that he will. Joy is the inner confidence that he will. So the reason why joy is so important is because it strengthens our faith. So here's what Paul says. Paul says, the first part there particularly, we want to jump on. He says this. Now, Whatever happens, see what I mean by that language? Isn't that good language? Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I love this, whatever happens. Whatever happens. I wrote down and said, you know, whatever your whatever is, whatever your whatever is, God is bigger and God is stronger. Now, now, please, you know what? I'm, I'm going to use this word twice today. I'm going to use it right now and a little bit later in the message if I get there, you know, is the word rhetoric. That is not preaching rhetoric. That is not something preachers say to make you feel better or, or, or to fill time. Truthfully, truthfully, whatever your whatever is, God is bigger. Whatever circumstance you're going through, God really is bigger. He's stronger. He's more. He, you need to come to the point in your life when you understand that no matter what you're facing, whatever you're facing, there is someone bigger than that whatever. And it is God. It is God. I really want God to be so real to you that you feel like you could reach out and touch him. I want, I want to be so real that, that his evidence is everywhere. And so, 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 you know, you've got to understand whatever you're facing, there is someone. And, 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 whatever you're facing, there's something beyond. In other words, you know, if this life really goes south, and sometimes it does, you do understand those six believers who are baptized in Central Asia have put their life on the line. I mean, there's a possibility they could lose their lives for their faith in Central Asia. And if that goes south, and the, if the worst happens to them, and they lose their home, they lose their jobs, they lose their family, and they lose their life, there's something beyond. And that something is called eternity with Jesus Christ in a place called heaven. So we've got to come to the point of understanding that. That no matter what it is we face, okay, whatever we face, there's someone bigger and something beyond. Someone bigger and something beyond. Now, you would probably be tempted to say, 
well, Dwayne, you know, this is Paul. He was a rock star in the Bible. He had such an easy life. Oh, really? Let me read to you Paul's whatever list. This is Paul's whatever list. Because he's the guy who said, whatever happens, this is Paul's whatever list. And this is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, starting verse 24. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. I did the math. That means that on the back of Paul, there were 145 scars from a whip. Mm, let that soak in. 145 lashes with a whip. That's his whatever list. Um, three times I was beaten with rods. Um, once I received a stoning. I have spent a day and a night in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city and dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. That's Paul's whatever list. So this isn't some guy in a cushy office in Atlanta somewhere who decided you know, to, to write books. And writes great books and has no idea, Paul understood. And Paul says, whatever happens, rejoice. Now, now notice the key there. Not just rejoice, but in the Lord. The reason we can have joy, again, is in the Lord. Because of God, we can have joy. Because there's someone bigger and something beyond. There's someone bigger and something beyond. You might as well just say that with me. There's someone bigger and someone beyond. Write that down in your heart, all right? We can rejoice because of that. And Paul knew the importance of this because he goes on and says, I never get tired of telling you these things. He said, they are so important, I don't get tired of sharing them with you. And I do it to safeguard your faith. So Paul understood the importance of joy in our lives. He understood, when we understand joy, and joy being the inner confidence... Okay, that God will get it right. Okay, when we grasp that and understand that, he, it safeguards our faith. You know, I think I mentioned these words. They're like preacher words because they all start with D. You know, when we don't have, when we don't safeguard our faith and when our joy fails and we, we worry, okay, worry is the fear that God will not get it right and that's where we live. God, what if you mess up? Okay, things like, I live disappointed. I live discouraged. I live disillusioned. That's where we are without joy and faith in God. So Paul says, beware the joy robbers. Things like, you know, Warren Wiersbe listed these in his book. Things like circumstances. Things like people. Things like things. I, I want more things. And things like worry. The fear that God won't get it right. Those are all joy robbers. So beware of those. Rejoice. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Now, the second thing is this. And these are, first we had the joy robbers, and then we have grace robbers. Grace robbers. Now, 
One of the most despicable things you can do is to rob a grave. To rob a grave. There are people, especially back in the older days, people would go to cemeteries, they would dig up dead bodies and search for jewelry and things like that. And man, it was like a hanging offense. I mean, you could go like to the gallows for it. And so it's a very despicable thing. But I want you to know something. People who rob grace of its power are just as despicable. Okay? People who rob grace of their power is just as despicable. And that's not me saying that. It's our friend Paul. Paul, you know, uh, Paul, I don't, well, he kind of went to seminary, but not really. But I don't have his grade sheet. But if diplomacy was on the course list, he got a D. Okay? He wasn't very diplomatic. He was very dogmatic, but not very diplomatic. So here's what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. And these concern the grace robbers. Watch out for those dogs. Wouldn't you love to have this guy preach a revival for you? Watch out for the dogs, okay? Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil. Those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Strong language. Because Paul knew knew that when we when we allow grace to be diminished, diminished, ah, oh, never mind, you know what I'm trying to say, diminished, okay? We allow grace to be dis- diminished, then we in turn diminish God's power in our lives. Write that down. Write that down. And what, what had happened was, well, let me read it to you from Acts chapter 15, and then you'll see, okay? So here's Acts 15, 1 and 2, the first part. Okay, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judah arrived and began to teach the believers. So, so Paul is at Antioch, and some Judaizers, some people from Judah, and they're, they're very legalistic Christians, they, if, if they are Christians, and they show up on the scene, and they're teaching something. Here's what they're teaching. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, in order to be saved for you guys, it requires a surgery. And it involves works. It involves works. And, of course, it goes on in the first part of verse 2. Paul and Barnabas disagree with them, arguing vehemently. Because Paul understood that grace is grace. These people, I would call them the add to people. Their, their, their mantra is Jesus plus. Jesus plus. Jesus plus uh, works. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus church. Jesus plus religion. Jesus plus keeping the laws of Moses. Jesus plus a surgery. All right, now, here's the deal. If you're making brownies, it's okay to add things. Okay? Um, brownies are good. Brownies with pecans are better. Brownies with pecans and caramel are really good. And then, if you've never had a brownie with cream cheese peanut butter icing, you've never lived. Okay? So, it is really a good thing to add things to brownies. But let me tell you something very clearly today. You don't, you can't, you had better not add anything to Jesus. It is not Jesus plus. It is Jesus and Him alone. 
Jesus and him alone. So when Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised, be saved, he goes, you can't add anything. Because once you add something to the gospel, it's not the gospel. Once you add anything to the gospel, what was good news becomes bad news. Okay? The word gospel means good news. When you add something to it, it becomes bad news. All right? Now, Paul, over in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 8, again, listen to, listen to how strongly he feels about this. In Galatians 1, 8, But even if we, Paul and his party, if we or even an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other words, if someone comes along, Paul said, if I start teaching a gospel and add something to it like works or something like that, or even if a guy claimed and showed to be an angel shows up and adds something to the gospel, he should be cut off. He should be circumcised. We uh, cut off. Okay? He should be he should be accursed. Okay? Get that, get that. Now watch this. This is so interesting. In Romans chapter 9, verse number 3, Paul uses this word in a different way. Listen to this. I, if there's a verse in the Bible, I say, does he, is it possible? Okay, this is it. This is it. For I could wish that I myself were accursed. Paul is saying, I could wish myself to be accursed, to be cut off from Christ. In fact, he says that. And cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul says if somehow it would mean that my kinsmen in the flesh, my fellow Jewish brothers and sisters, were to come to faith to understand God's grace and receive God's grace, I would be willing to be cut off from Christ myself. Why would he make a crazy statement like that? Because he understood the value of the gospel. He understood the value of grace. If there's a weakness in the church today, we don't understand the value of grace. We don't. We don't. We've got to do, we just got to be so careful, so careful that we don't add anything to the gospel. He goes on and says this. This is back in Philippians 3, verse 3. For we, we, who are, who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. Now he's talking about spiritual circumcision. You do understand that circumcision in the Old Testament was a mark of being a part of the covenant of God. So when a male was circumcised, okay, every Jewish man was circumcised, he was marked as being a part of God's covenant. Well, well, Paul is saying, for we who worship by the Spirit of God, okay, are truly the ones who are spiritually circumcised. It's the Spirit of God active in our lives that marks us as circumcised for Christ. Now watch. Don't miss this. I love it because it's so plain. We rely on, we depend on, what Jesus Christ has done for us. You need to write that down. We rely, we depend on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. We put no confidence in human effort. How much confidence? None. Zero. Nada. If you're sitting there and you're going, you know, well, I, I thought like going to church, you know, I thought like being baptized, I thought like tithing, that somehow they got me extra credit with God, that God's the school teacher, and, you know, he throws a quiz out there and I get extra credit for, no, no. We put no confidence, zero 
in human effort. So how much? None. In what? Human confidence. Human effort. Human effort. There's none. Now, in case you don't know this, you're a member of a church. If you're a member, if you're visiting here regularly, the church that you attend, if you're here today, you're in a church that believes that salvation is by grace Plus nothing, minus nothing. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is not a works church. This is not a works church. This is a grace church. Relish and rest in the grace of God. In the grace of God. So, verse 4. He goes, now, he's going to get a little facetious on us, okay? And I'll go and tie it all together. We put no confidence in human effort. Though, he says, comma, though, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, indeed. If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. He's being facetious. But he's saying, you know what? If they think they have the right to have confidence in themselves, well, I've got a whole list of that, too. I don't have a whatever list. I've got a look what I did list. Now, I want you to really listen to this. I wrote, this is the second word time the word rhetoric is going to show up in this message. This is religious rhetoric. Now, as, as a Christ follower, when you find this kind of conversation marked by the word I, marked by the word I, the pronoun I, when you find this conversation as part of your life, you're in grave danger of being an add to person. You're in grave danger of being a grace robber. You're in grave danger of watering down and greatly diminishing the power of God's grace. Now, remember, Paul is being facetious. But look what he says. In Philippians 3, verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Big rule. He kept the rule. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. The first king of Israel, Saul, was a member from the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, can you just hear these words translated to Christians that try to make this their mantra? A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. A real Christian, we would say, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, let me say it again. When those kind of conversations come out of your mouth, capitalized by the word I, I did this, I did that, I do this, I, 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 Warning, warning, warning. Your faith has been undermined and you become a grace robber. A grace robber and an add to person. Be careful of that. It's prevalent very much in society in American culture today. Very prevalent. Be careful of that. Now, Paul's already been facetious. Now he gets serious. I once thought, he says in verse number seven, I once thought that things were valuable but I now consider them worthless. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. There's a time, Paul would say, when I thought being circumcised, being a member of the tribe of, of Benjamin, a pure-blooded Hebrew, you know, a, a Pharisee who kept the strictest uh, letter of law, uh, my righteousness, all that stuff, you know, there was a time those were valuable. 
As you know, that's a past tense statement. There was a time, but not now. Now, I've, I've drug this out occasionally, at least a couple of times while I've been here at Dorsville, and, and I did it a couple of times, I'm sure, at Cobden too, but this is a rock. Well, in case you weren't paying attention, I want to make sure that you understood this is a rock. Now, this rock has a long history. Back in 1974, I started dating Judy in the early, late August, early September of 1974. And once we started dating, I mean, we saw each other every day. I mean, you know, I was in love with her and she was in love with me. Of course, she was 16. She didn't know better, you know. But she was in love with me. And, uh, yeah, she was naive, you know. So, you know. Anyway, so for Thanksgiving, uh, we were going to finally be apart, you know. I mean, we saw each other virtually every day. And so we're going to be apart because I was going to go up to my brother's house in North Carolina to, um, you know, to, to celebrate Thanksgiving. So I told her I would bring something back. And so I brought her this rock. Now, I need to tell you something that, well, let me tell you the story first and then we'll finish up. So I brought her the rock back and I think you acted, you know, like, oh, a rock, you know, like, it was a pretty, I mean, look, you see the white, can y'all see the white in it? It's really cool. It's a cool rock. And so, anyway, so the bottom line is, so for the last 44 years, this rock has been a part of our life. I counted up. I think we've moved nine times in 44 years. And it, this rock has gone from, from Georgia to Germany, back to Warrensburg, Missouri, and then Cobden, and then here. But nine different moves in that process. It stayed with us the entire and I would bring the rock up and say, this is a special rock because I gave it to Judy, you know, when we, we were just starting dating. And I told her how the rock symbolized our rock-solid love for one another. I may have a great story, you know. <laughs> the bottom line was either A, I forgot, or B, um, I was cheap. I found the rock beside the road. She's shaking her head. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so about two years ago, yeah, about two years ago, I mentioned something about the rock, you know, and I said something about being special or something, and she said, um, that rock doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> yeah, I was like devastated. This rock, what do you mean the rock doesn't mean anything to you? It doesn't, Dwayne, it's a rock. What? oh, wow, dude. So, again, that's when I started analyzing the story and realized, you know what, it probably didn't mean anything to me either because I probably forgot to get her something and picked up a rock on the side of the road, or it was cheap. And it didn't really symbolize our lifelong love. There's something better than that. I just sounded good. You know, sometimes we embellish stories as they go. If this had gone on until I died, this rock would have made of diamond before it was all said and done. Well, anyway, the bottom line is, I was hurt, okay, but then I thought about it. I said, you know what, she's right. It really doesn't. So, I took the rock out and put it in the yard. And it finally got promoted to Sassy's grave. Sassy was our dog. And I said, well, I'll put it on Sassy's grave. I'm really not sure what the significance that is. But anyway, I put it on Sassy's grave. But here's the bottom line. If you're wondering why I told that story. As soon as I heard the rock meant nothing to her, it meant nothing to me. When I found out, and that's not bad, when the rock meant nothing to her, it meant nothing to to me. When Paul realized that all that stuff meant nothing to Christ, it meant nothing to him.
Are you getting it? So you need to ask yourself the things that you, you would say, I do this and I do that. Do they mean anything to Christ as far as your salvation goes? Because we're talking about you know, salvation. Does God say, oh yeah, your, your church, man, that really assures your salvation. You're in because you go to church. Or you're in because you're a Baptist. You're in. And if it doesn't mean anything to him, it shouldn't mean anything to you. For your salvation. Don't miss that. For your salvation. And it surely didn't mean anything for Paul. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. In fact, look what he says. Yet everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, whatever you hold up there, whatever you hold up compared to Christ is worthless. Titles, prestige, address, type of car, clothing labels, anything is worthless compared to Christ. Listen, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for a choice pearl. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. We should sell everything. There should be nothing that compares to the kingdom of God in our lives. Nothing. Not titles. Not prestige. Not power. Not authority. Nothing. Are you willing today to sell out everything for him? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, that's the demand. Don't you dare think you can bring Jesus into your life and tag along all your other gods. You can't. And believers, hear me. You need to analyze where you are today with Christ and go, everything else is worthless compared to him. Everything else is worthless compared to him. Remember when Jesus said, unless you hate father and mother and brother and sister, you cannot be my disciple? He wasn't literally calling people to hate people. But he said, that love that you have for those people should look like hate when you think about your love for me. And that's what he calls us to. And that's what he calls us to. So, so he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And he goes on, he continues. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Whether I become righteous through faith in Christ. I love that. I no longer depend on my righteousness. Whether I become righteous by faith. Remember Abraham? Abraham believed God and God called him as righteousness. How about that? He believed and God counted. And that's what he does for us. He goes on and says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And that's not a statement of doubt. It's a statement of humility. It's Christ or nothing. It's Christ or nothing. So beware of the grace robbers and allowing them to undermine your faith. Now, the third thing is this. I call this the potential robber. The potential robber. Okay? Now, here's what he says in verse number 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have reached perfection. Now, 
this, again, continues the thought of humility, just like the previous one. One way or another, I'll experience the resurrection. So he continues that humility thought by saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not arrived. The great apostle Paul would say, I've not arrived yet. I've not got there. Okay? But he goes on and says this. But I press on to possess, I love this, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I press to possess. He's talking about a runner reaching out for the finish line. I press to possess that perfection which is in Christ. I've, I've been watching, have y'all been watching the Olympics? Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. Um, the, the short track speed skating is particularly interesting to me. And at least twice, and maybe three times, the call was so close, Brent, that what they would do is, you know, they, they're gliding along, you know, 35 miles an hour. And this track is 100 yards. Now think about the school, 400 yards, okay? Think about 100-yard speed track, and they're reaching speeds of 35 miles an hour. And three t- two times, possibly three, I would watch, and what they would do is it was so close... He would reach out his skate, two feet, three feet from the line, reach his skate out to stop the clock. The first thing across the line wins. And one time, he just stretched further than the guy beside him and won the race. That's the picture of what Paul's talking about. I press to possess. I strain at the finish line to receive that. That's what Paul is challenging us to do. Now, in verse 13, and I confess, this is this are two of my favorite verses. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. So this is huge. How do you keep Satan from robbing your potential? Okay. He said, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Now, Satan will use guilt and shame to rob you of your potential. If he can keep you feeling guilty, and if he can keep you feeling ashamed, he knows you will not be effective as a believer in Jesus Christ. Kind of amen? Isn't that true? Anybody experience that? Uh, I do on a regular basis. A regular basis. So, so Paul is saying, what is the answer to keeping the enemy, the adversary, from robbing us of our potential? Because if I'm living in guilt and shame, okay, I cannot be and reach the potential that Christ has for me. What's the answer? Forgetting the past and reaching forward. Forgetting the past. And reaching forward. I shared this recently with a friend, and I, 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 it's just one of my favorite verses. Now, Paul was not saying, Paul was not saying, okay, okay, forget the past. Mm-hmm. Doing a, I'm, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a, a Vulcan mind sweep. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wipe my hard drive. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that sin yesterday. Mm-hmm. Ah, there. Forget the past. What, what, what past? That's not what he's saying. Can't do that. But he's saying this. I am not going to let the past control who I am today. I've said this to you so many times. I'm not going to let the past control who I am today. And Paul had baggage. People, Christians persecuted. Christians put to death. A Christ hater. He had baggage. 
He said, I'm just not going to let that control me. So if you're writing down, write down that, I refuse to let the past control me. But I also, I'm not going to forget the lessons. If, if A28 applies in this verse, it's the fact that God will enable us to bring good in the sense that we learn from our mistakes. We learn from our failures. Failure is not final. And we learn from our failures. Um, George Santana said this, and you're going to recognize it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. We need to allow God, through the Holy Spirit, to help us remember the lessons and let go of the condemnation, the guilt, and the shame. Learn the lessons. Learn the lessons. Okay? Let go of the guilt, the shame, and condemnation. Can we go one more and get a little harder? Not only it's not going to control me, I'm going to learn, I'm going to share. I'm going to share. Because if you've been through a rough road and someone else is going down that rough road, wouldn't it be a shame? Wouldn't it be wrong if you could keep them from going down that road? And we've got to ask God to help us to reach a point where we're not ashamed of sharing our failures. See, that's how I know know we are ashamed, because we won't share our failures. I'm not saying you've got to stand before the church and say, okay, here's my sin list this week. I'm not saying that. But let's say you're 300 feet underground with one of your mining friends. And... uh, He's wrestling with something. You pick it. It doesn't matter. And you can say, dude, let me tell you something. I walked down that road, and you don't want to go down it. And you can start listening. It scarred this. It scarred that. It cost me this. It cost me that. And who knows? God may use that, one, to bring him to faith that he's not a believer, and two, to keep him from going down that path. Some of you parents, you got to learn this. You've got some junk, don't you? And sometimes sharing your junk will help your child not to go down that road. Sharing your junk. I'm not saying everything. Don't go, I can't share. I know. But ask God. Say, God, help, help me help my child. He's on the verge of doing the very same thing I did. God, help me to help him or her. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark of the prize which lies ahead. In verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. Powerful. Powerful. So today, you're here, and and you may not get a direct presentation of what that's all about, but I think you heard enough to know this, that everybody has sinned, every person. The Bible's real clear on that. You're in a room full of sinners today. You're in good company if you're a sinner. And the cool thing is, we can't do anything about that. But he did. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says the wages of sin was death. And he died on the cross so that we didn't have to. And he offers it as a gift. The payment for sin is death and the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus offers you a free gift today.
Not religion, not baptism, not being a Baptist. Free relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's today. And brothers and sisters, the rest of the stuff is for us. It's for us. Beware of the joy robbers. Because they will undermine your faith. Undermine your faith. Learn that there's someone bigger and something beyond. Someone bigger, that's God. And something beyond, that's eternity. Remember that. Beware of grace robbing. Beware of grace robbing. It's so easy in our culture to shift our mindset from grace to works. Oh yeah, you ask any good Baptist, they'll tell you they're saved by grace. But somehow they got twisted in their brain that their performance somehow keeps it. No. Uh-uh. You're saved by grace, you are kept by grace. Be careful of conversations that I do, I did, I do, I did, I do, I did. That's religious rhetoric and maybe an indication that you're allowing grace robbing to come into your life. Be careful of the adversary when he brings in to your life potential robbing. You believe you'll never be more than you are because you're convinced you're a failure. You'll always be a failure. God can't use you. God doesn't want you. God doesn't like you. And God doesn't love you. Lie, 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 lie. He does love you. He does like you. And God can use you even though you failed. In fact, sometimes you might become even more valuable tool in some areas, in some areas, through your failure. I'm going to remember lesson learns because I don't want to be condemned repeated if I forget it. Make it a part of your life. We have now our time of decision. And uh, we'd like to invite you. Brent's going to be standing down front. If you're here today, you want to know more about Jesus Christ and grace and forgiveness, all that stuff I talked about today. Man, Brent wants to tell you about that. If you're here today and your brother and sister in Christ, you may want to make your altar there. I get that. That's cool. But you also may want to come down here. We've got some folks who will pray with you. Um, you may want to take your wife's hand. I don't know how God wants to use this message today in your life. But just let him use it. I don't care where you let him use it. Just let him use it today. Because I'm telling you, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Let's pray together. Hey, God, I really, really thank you for the privilege of sharing today. It's my high honor. And I want to pray, Father, right now, Holy Spirit, that you will cement these truths in our lives. Father, I pray it won't be like rocky soil where the birds come away and steal it away. I want to pray the word will fall on fertile ground and will be applied to our lives. Help us to be aware of these robbing techniques that come in our lives that try to undermine our faith. Father, help us to be willing to reach out for the potential that you have for us. Help us never add anything to Jesus Christ. And help us to always remember there's someone bigger and there's something beyond. Have your way in this time of decision. And Jesus, I pray.